Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. We're moving into a new season, a new series of messages that focuses particularly on a topic that we often don't want to talk about, especially in church. And I know you're like, wait, we just talked about money last week. (laughs) I promise uh, today's message is, is not about money, but it is about something that makes us uncomfortable. And that I think that one of the things that we just don't like to talk about, especially as Christians, is the subject of grief. You know, we acknowledge that that grief is a thing, especially as we navigate our modern world and as we, you know, get to an age in our lives where funerals are more regular occurrences on our calendars than maybe they once were. But that doesn't mean that we really want to talk about it. We don't really want to acknowledge the deep and pervasive pain that accompanies grief. And we tend to want to just be the optimistic ones, right? We're the first ones to tell ourselves and to tell others, like, oh, honey, don't worry. This too shall pass. Or we try to rush the movement through the grieving process towards just, just find that joy in Christ again, right? Now, I'm not trying to say that there isn't some deep theological truth to the ways that we try to comfort ourselves and others in these ways. That The reality is that we do believe that we will someday overcome all of the sadness that we experience in this world, that all of the brokenness and all of the pain will be resolved. You know, we do absolutely believe in the ultimate hope that all of the brokenness of our world will be removed, and we, of course, believe that death does not have the final word thanks to the resurrection of Jesus. But believing all of those things doesn't mean that the pain and the suffering that we endure as just a part of being human needs to be avoided or stuffed deep down. Jesus doesn't say, just smile through the pain. The truth is that an integral part of being human is grief and the grieving process. Grief is is a natural human reaction to the suffering that we face in this world. And it's natural because we know deep down that it isn't supposed to be like this. Our souls yearn for the good world that God created. And so 
they rebel and they revolt when they're exposed to the horrors of evil and suffering. And so in their own way, grief, despair, and lament are really good gifts from God because they remind our broken hearts that this just shouldn't be. And if the suffering we endure in this world shouldn't be, that means that deep down we know that there is a much greater hope. The pain itself reminds us of how deep the chasm is between what God wants and what our current reality is. And it moves us to, to lean in and to reach out and begin to bridge that gap. See, when we ignore grief or when we live in denial of the suffering that, that we face on a daily basis, then we are denying ourselves of an essential aspect of our humanity on this side of eternity. And so I believe that it's our duty as Christians who live within the beloved community called the church to create a space that allows us to grieve. See, creating that space does two things for us. First, it, it offers permission for us as individuals and us as a community to express the deep feelings of pain that we experience without fear of, of not being good Christians, right? But it also teaches those who live around those who are grieving to practice the unspoken art of empathy. See, the truth is that grief care is a major part of the call of the church. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the ways that we experience grief, how we are called to exist in and through grief, and what it looks like for us to allow God to heal the wounds on our hearts. And so we're going to do this by, by looking at one of the most prevalent types of literature that's found within the Bible, lament. Did you know there's actually a book in the Bible called Lamentations? It's hiding in the book's of the prophets. And it's a series of five poems that are written as a means of reflecting on a particularly catastrophic event that happened in Israel's history. You might know that Israel was once a, a mighty nation, richly blessed by God, but they experienced serious downfall and degradation towards the end of their life as a kingdom. In the year 586 B.C., they came face to face with one of their greatest fears, the empire of Babylon. So in the book of 2 Kings, chapters 24 and 25, you can read about a, a detailed record of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and uh, Judah, the nation at large, at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And what Nebuchadnezzar does is he systematically destroys everything that Israel's identity was bound up in. He takes the king, who's meant to be the symbol of God on earth, captive. 
He destroys Israel's army, who is supposed to be the hand of Yahweh, God of Israel himself. He, he tears down the walls of the city, which are a symbol of God's protection of these people. He empties out all of the sacred objects from the temple and then destroys it. Right before the eyes of the Israelites, the home of God fell. And then those people that God had bound himself to in covenant love were held captive and hauled off into exile. And these are some of the final words from this rather horrific section of Israel's story and of your Bible. This is from 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 11. It says, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had defected to the king of Babylon and all the rest of the population. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest people of the land to be vine dressers and tillers of the soil. And so it's this remnant of people left behind to live in and around the destruction of their home that bear witness to the, the heart-wrenching poetry found in the book of Lamentations. So this poetry is a, a deep reflection on the loss and on the grief that the people of Israel faced, both as individuals and as a community in the wake of the Babylonian conquest. It bears witness to the guilt and to the shame that often accompanies the grief that we feel, as well as bearing witness to the very real feeling of being deserted or damned by God himself. And so it's in them, in these poems, that we find the emotional and, and raw human response to suffering that we often try to avoid, that we often find uncomfortable as people who gather in the name of Jesus. And so it's in these poems that are in our Bible that we find out that it's actually okay to yell at God. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little bit unorthodox, right? And I'm going to read to you like an entire chapter of the Bible because there's really just no way to break this thing up. And, and I, I just want you to focus on the language and the tone. I'm going to read the entire chapter of first of Lamentations chapter 1. And what I want you to do is to not try to rationalize or theologize some of the things that are being said. These are, are raw human reactions and emotions to what is happening around the people of God. But also, I want you to pay attention to the fact that there's, there's two voices here. One that represents a witness to what is happening, and one that represents Jerusalem as a whole. The witness who begins this poem plays the part of stating the facts. And then Lady Zion, the voice of Jerusalem, states the emotional response to what is happening. And so, here we go. It says, How lonely sets the city that once was full of people. How like a widow 
she has become since she was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all of her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan. Her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters, her enemies prosper. But the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion has departed all of her majesty. Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. O Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers in days of old, when her people fell into the hands of the foe and there was no one to help her. The foe looked on mocking over her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, so she has become a mockery. All who honor her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts, and she took no thought of her future. Her downfall was appalling, with none to comfort her. O Lord, look at my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Enemies have stretched out their hands over all her precious things. She has even seen the nations invade her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see how worthless I have become. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire, and it went deep into my bones. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned and faint all day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hands they were fastened together. They weigh on my neck, sapping my strength. For the Lord handed me over to those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected my, all my warriors in the midst of me. He proclaimed a time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my courage. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should become his foes, and Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and behold my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city, 
while seeking foods revived their strength. See, O Lord, how distressed I am. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves, and in the house, it is like death. They heard how I was groaning with no one to comfort me. All my enemies heard of my trouble, but they are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day that you have announced, and let them be as I. Let all their evil doing come before you, and deal with them as you have dealt with me, because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many, and my heart is faint. It's a downer, right? <laughs> You're like, dude, I come to church to feel good. Uh, so why did you just read that to me? <laughs> it, it, I know, it, it's seriously depressing. But I think that it's good to know that when we feel, when we feel like everything is falling apart, when it feels like everything and everyone in the world has abandoned us, when it feels like God has canceled us, that we are not alone. We come from a faith tradition and a legacy that recognizes these feelings as valid and as worth recording as sacred scripture. I think that the most comforting thing that comes from this reality is that it gives us permission to not only feel, but to voice our frustrations. It gives us the ability to take back the power that grief has stolen from us and begin to make sense of it all. You know, if you've ever studied any psychology or counseling or maybe gone to a therapist or a counselor uh, you may be familiar with what is called the stages of grief. And this theory says that people typically move through grace, grief by experiencing the following five linear emotional stages. Denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and then acceptance. And this is, it, it's okay, it, it, it's kind of good. But I have found that these stages are not static. They're not linear at all. It's not a straight line path. We jump all over these as we grieve. You know, I can be accepting in the morning, depressed in the evening, and wake up fighting mad in the middle of the night over a loss that I have endured. And so while the stages of grief are, are really helpful for naming where we are, are, they don't really help us to actually move through it. The way that we move through grief is through a process that I like to call tears, talk, and time. We have to feel and express our emotions over a period of time. We don't like to do this because it's uncomfortable, but the reality is that if we don't allow ourselves to cry, and then to verbally lament the injustice of suffering in our lives, and then just allow time to take time, then we never really go on a journey of healing. We want to simply go from denial to acceptance. I know this. We want to move on and have a healed heart. 
But you and I both know that that's not how things work. And mostly it doesn't work because the wounds that grief leave on us never really fully heal. We just grow around them. And if we grow around them right and correctly, then we come out of grief as persons who are fundamentally changed for the better. We have our hearts stretched and we are able to better understand and care for the people around us. But when we don't deal with our grief, when we just try to push through it, when we try to ignore the wounds that we have, then we end up hardened instead, scarred. We aren't able to relate to the pain of those around us. Or we, we do this opposite thing, we just wallow in our sadness and adopt a victim mentality that never recovers. See, when we ignore our pain or blame it on all, all on those around us, then we never move beyond it, and it consumes us. So the beautiful thing about biblical lament is that it displays a means of moving through grief. And while the poem of Lamentations 1 doesn't end on a hopeful note at all. We do see movement from despair to a person who is trying to make sense of their experience in this world. They're acknowledging their reality as well as taking ownership of the mess that they're in. You know, not everything that's bad that happens to us is our fault, but sometimes we do play a part. And so what the, what the poet says essentially in, in Lamentations 1 is like, hey, everything is broken, everything is a mess, and it's broken because we have abandoned God. But what I want to tell you is that hidden deep inside of this poem, in a way that is, is unfortunately veiled by our English language and our English translation is a really touching and beautiful truth. The poems of Lamentations are what we call acrostic poems. And what that means is that they are written with each stanza or verse in our modern way of organizing the Bible. Starts with a sequential letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 Hebrew letters and 22 verses. In Lamentations 1, starting with the first letter, Aleph, in verse 1, and ending with the last letter, Tav, in verse 22. The poem is shaped in a way that displays order. So even though the entirety of the poem expresses the disorder of the city and the people who feel abandoned by God. The very structure of the poem expresses a hope that the God of order is still somehow present and working to reconcile the disordered and disorienting brokenness of Israel's world. And that hope was realized when nearly 600 years later, God brought all of that chaos back into order through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. 
the people who had seen and lived with the pain of feeling abandoned by their God were given the gift of God walking among them and inviting them to come and dwell in a new kingdom forever. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus himself legitimized the practice of lament particularly by praying so fervently in the garden the night before he went to the cross, praying that God the Father would spare him from that cross, praying so fervently that his sweat was like tears of blood falling to the ground. He showed us that it's normal to cry out in anguish when he proclaimed from the cross the words of a lament psalm, My God, my God, why you forsaken me. So it's no secret that this community, this church, has endured serious loss over the past 18 months. And this series is an invitation for us as a community to heal. It won't be a four-week process, and it won't all be okay at the end of November. The memories of those who we lost, particularly of Kathy Kruger and Tim Wilcox, will, will never really leave us. They are a part of who we are. But in that, but the invitation to lament these losses is open for you as a community. But even more personally, I'm, I'm inviting you this week to write, write a letter to God. Air your grievances, lament, yell at God. Trust me, he can take it. And then lean on the community of people around you whom you trust to get you through those emotions. You know, I have a colleague who uh, shared with me and some other pastors that in a particularly dark period of time in their life, they reached out to members of their pastoral covenant group on a Sunday morning, just you know, a few moments before having to take the pulpit and preach. And they just simply aired out everything that they were feeling. And, and as they recounted this, they, re, they recounted that in that moment, in that moment, they just felt so goddamn alone. And then, like a good pastor, they were like, I'm so sorry for that language that I used, right? <laughs> and then someone else in the room said, don't apologize. Because in that moment, you felt damned by God. You felt alone. And so much of the Bible is about people felt just like you did. And so that's really my word for you is if you feel alone, if you feel abandoned, if you feel damned by God, then you're in the right place. Lament that. Cry about it. Talk about it. And let the community of faith hold you for the time that it takes for you to move through your grief. That's what we are here for. This is a safe space to grieve. God himself grieved. And this is me 
giving you permission to do the same. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of grief. We thank you for the ways that our souls revolt when we experience suffering in our own lives or when we experience the suffering of our world. We thank you for that because it, it reminds us that you are there. It reminds us that this is not how it's supposed to be. And it reminds us that we are people who yearn for a better world. And we trust and we, we know that that world is a world that is coming. Because you said to us that you would return. And your world reveal, word reveals to us a world that is free from pain, that is free from suffering. That's free from all of the brokenness that sin has brought into this good world that you created. And so, God, we just ask that you would continue to reveal that to us. That you would continue to comfort us as we walk through our own pain, as we walk through living in a world that is filled with, with suffering, that is filled with, with poverty, with brokenness, with war, with just people at odds and at each other's throats that you would remind us to stand firm on, on the word that is Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace, the one who was and is and is to come. You would show us how to be peacemakers, how to be grief care specialists, who allow people to, to cry, who allow people to talk, and just give people that time that they need. And God, that you would sometimes allow those people to be us. That whatever we have going on in our lives that breaks our heart, that we would be given just the peace and the comfort needed to move through that together. God, we thank you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.